Yeah, let's let's, let's talk about these uh, institutions in New York who specifically are getting a lot of funding to reopen. They're getting uh, filtration systems, they're getting UV ray lights and things like that to, to reopen their spaces in the way that they feel is safe. But what's not being talked about in the conversation is how are the lowest paid workers being supported to open up and run these spaces? Like, are they getting hazard pay? Are they are they getting sick leave because mm-hmm. you are putting them in harm's way? All the things. But like, let's how can that be at the forefront of the conversation as these giant institutions are deciding to open their doors? Right, because like the funds that go to creating these filtration systems are or not creating but implementing and installing these filtration systems are thousands upon thousands of dollars. And I'm sure they cost about as much as any like lower tier worker or lower salary workers um, salary, if not more. But a lot of these same institutions that are putting in these filtration systems are also laying off their lower staff members. So it's like, are you actually an institution, an art institution that's for the community of artists? Because a lot of those front, like front facing staff members are artists as well. Are you here for the community of artists or are you here to appease the donors who are probably going to pull out their dollars as soon as they don't have a reason to get that tax write off in this pandemic going through America right now? Like, that's the only reason why the donors are there is to get a tax write off. They're not there for the community. They're not a part of the community. They are nameless and faceless people that you're appeasing as an institution. So is it the community or is it the donors? Because, right, if it was about community and if and from we're facing this, then, again, your most vulnerable folks would be taken care of out the gate. So it's always interesting that, you know, they say there, there's these like these points that we're for the community. We're doing this. We're listening. But then you're not none of the, nothing about your behavior is suggesting that. And then you also then have the audacity to send these Giving Tuesdays to the community uh, you've laid off to the community that you are not supporting. But then you want us to create work. You want us to go see the work. And, and, and even like who do they want to create the work? the most oppressed of us, the black, the brown, the disabled, the queer, they want us to go into their places so that we can present our hard trauma filled work so that they can apply for more grants and get that little like badge of honor on their little oppressive shoulder to say that they showed up for the community when you didn't. Cause if you really did care about the, the most marginalized of us, you take care of those at the margin, everybody inside inclusively will be taken care of as well. Right, so this is really a call to action of like, what is, again, what does a practice really look like? And how can we start to be really, trans- just be really mindful, y'all, of like, what's being said versus what we're seeing. And also, I'm going to just keep reading mm-hmm. this background from what we were brought in earlier about, you know, deconstructing um, white supremacist structures and like all these statements that came out. Let's continue to see how that work is translating into what into the the outward facingness yes. of institutions like what what are you doing what's happening mm-hmm. and and are those values that you've written down actually being practiced we need to keep asking mm. these questions and putting our, keeping our finger on that pulse um, cuz if we don't we're going to keep circling into these same systems uh, that that got us here yeah yeah and a lot of these major, yeah, exactly, because part of how we got here is that a lot of these major institutions um, prioritize their donors and their their like money base, and we've seen so many of those same institutions crash. Like what happened to um, Cedar Lake? Their major donor pulled out, doesn't exist anymore. You know if that, what would have happened if that same institution was for the community? If we knew that that place was going under or if it was struggling, the community would have been there to lift it up, because that's what we've done so many times all throughout America's art history is that it was, if it was community-based, it lived when push came to shove. 
So as these institutions are crumbling now and those donors pull out their money, don't come looking at us. We're not going to be there to get you because you were never there to invest in us. Because it's interesting, and again, it's a model we're working with here at the Dance Union, is that uh, funding relationships are relationships, right? Mm -hmm. It's not um, nameless and faceless. And again, how are we asking our community to sort of be in, in, and these are what economic relationships, these are financial relationships with accountability and respect. And it's not just a, a checkbook, but it's like actually a working relationship with uh, another, because there's another person on the other side of that, right? So For sure. um, how, how, yeah, just so many thoughts and questions. And just, again, like we have, I feel like we have to like, y'all drink y'all's water and okay. know that like, these are the questions that we have to keep asking if we want to see something different. Yeah. And the, and the difference um, you said I should, the word, something that I said about my relationship with my mom and the conversation with my mom is something that we should listen to, or maybe should be shared. So I'm going to see if I can recapture it. Um, yes. But in the, in the vein of doing something different, um, having a lot of conversations with my mother about black liberation, that's just kind of how I grew up with my parents. I was like, a, that's always a topic that's on the table. <laughs> um, and we got into a lot of tiffs in the past couple of months because um, during the social justice summer or the summer of social justice, social change, my parents were really spouting rhetoric that asked for anyone who was not black, cis, hetero, and a man to wait their turn for the liberation. In a sense that like, we really need to prioritize black, cis, hetero men for them to get their things and everybody else is gonna be taken care of later. And we're like, and I'm pushing back and I'm saying no. And not just no, because like, it doesn't feel good or it hurts because those things are true, but no in the sense of like, let's match rhetoric to rhetoric as we have, um, as, a, as a community of people grown to center the voices of black trans women black queer folk and black disabled folk like i'm i'm hearing how the evolution of the thought has gone to if we take care of people at the margins at the same time everyone closer to the center are going to be taken care of as well so in this analogy i share with my mom is that like to help her understand when she was trying to when she asked for more clarification i was saying that if if there is for black trans women who are disabled who may not be able to have a find work outside of sex work, which right now sex work is essentially illegal and requires, and that requires that um, puts them at risk for um, incarceration and other kinds of abuse systems and brings them closer to risk of death by the hands of Blacks and cetera men. So if we and are able to- COVID, like, And add pandemic and to that. And COVID, and, like, okay, like that was, that was before pandemic. So now we're adding yeah. that, like, boom, right on top. So, as we're, li as we're listening to um, the liberatory thoughts <clears throat> and watching the practices of Black trans women, um, if we were to specifically focus on, as a Black and Brown community, focus on um, pushing for legalization and protection of sex workers, it wouldn't just <clears throat> only take care of Black trans women, Black trans disabled women. It will take care of everyone who is working in sex work. And it's not that we're just trying to get the most deplorable quote unquote of us out of the gutter and take care of them. We're actually talking about the people who actually revolutionized our black thoughts. Malcolm X was a black queer sex worker. <laughs> like I, all of our, all of our um, great leaders of the civil rights movement and so on were always approximated to queerness and sex work into the deplorable work. So we're not, it's not an othering thing. It's a yes. And, 
And that's the point of changing the way that we're looking at things. That idea of centering Black cisgender men worked for a time, and this is where we're at now, and it does not work anymore. What's different? What's new? And also what doesn't work is like just what you just said. Like, I didn't know that about Malcolm X. And it's like, like our, the continuation of a race in history is actually not doing us any good. Look at where we are. Gotcha. And, and our talk was like, I you know did one of those history for the futures talking about the Harlem Renaissance and the queerness of it and the elevation of art and thought that happened and how somehow that gets sort of glossed over and hidden unless mm -hmm. you have information at research. And it's like, but let's talk about what came out of it, like just the revolutionary thoughts that came out of that. And then again, of course, we get into um, black politics or black respectability politics, I should say. And then that, that history gets lost. And this is why I mm. love Josephine Baker. That's why she's all around my house because, you know, she was, she was very vocal about why she left the United States. She's like, I just don't trust and cannot, can't be my full self here. Nothing about this system wants me to exist and wants me to live. And, and so, you know, but then of course, like a lot of, again, respectability politics, we don't talk about her in black communities because she had her titties out. But like, you're not, it's like, <laughs> right. but you're, but you negate, like there's all this other stuff. That, and like, let's talk about why, like, what was the context of that? The why, let's talk about why she, she adopted like 11 kids from all over the world. Like the fact they that call, she was- They should call them the rainbow somebody's? The rainbow tribe, yeah. Let's talk about how she was passing letters during the French Revolution, like, and even Hitler was like, oh, she's not a threat, she's just a black woman. Ha-ha! Mm -hmm. He wasn't a threat until y'all had to go up in her castle and say, ma'am, you can't be doing this. Mm -hmm. But we don't, but we're not, like, that learning and that teaching is not a part of our, a lot of our conversations. And I feel like as much as we want to continue to sort of vision and think about how we want to move forward with new systems and ideas, there's also a lot to be learned from what happened in the past. And I think that's why it's so great that you're talking to your mom about this, because it's interesting and it's important to contextualize perception of like what was then and the, and the why of it, where we are now with new information and being very clear, like, here's where we want to go. And we actually want mm -hmm. you to come with us. Absolutely. And when we're talking about, thank you for that, because I think the last point that I really wanted to drive home for my mom in relationship to the civil rights movement, and, and she knows this, but it was just more like to, to help drive the point home, is that like the civil rights movement that most people think that Martin Luther King like ran and like founded, which is like oh. so inaccurate, it was yep. really ran and supported and the foundation of it were the black women who were in the home taking care of the work, taking care of the children, organizing things. When I mean organized, I mean like, the bus boycott was organized by black women, black working class women. So like we are we're our history is completely inaccurate if we are leaving out the foundation of our movements. And that goes back to talking about this moment as artists. We're like every art community is struggling in many different ways. And then we have institutions trying to open up with this big old glitz and glam saying like the, the rhetoric or the, the the image of taking care of the community but have no community basis at all. Like we are the, like it, every revolution is moved and led by the community. Black Panther Party knew that. That's why they were scary to the FBI in the first place. You know, and it's just like, let's think about and just be mindful of like what, what your responsibilities and what you actually can do. Cause actually, as you said that, I was like, yeah. So I'm curious as why like some of these bigger institutions, like I know they want to keep their doors open. And how is it possible for you to, to to stay, like to be here next year as an institution and also use some of your leverage with your relationship with funders to do things like help people with evictions. Mm -hmm. 
is there a table you can be sitting at to make sure that that evictions don't happen? And that's the thing, our, our politicians and our lawmaking bodies are made up really of, it's not working class folks, you know? It's not people who are even worried about the effects of eviction, of not getting vaccines, of, so, Again, why is that? Like, why why are folks that represent us not the people who are experiencing what we're experiencing? And then when we're telling them and when we're saying, this is what we need, the, again, like we are the most vulnerable, the most, this is what, what we need in a huge part of society and our culture, this is what we need. It's being met with like silence. Absolutely. Oh my, you want to hear a terrible example of that? I was legitimately sitting in a, company meeting in that last dance company I worked in, two members mentioned that one was being evicted and had to figure out another place to live. And the other one was um, literally contracted COVID and had to figure out like what they were going to do. We're sitting in the meeting on Zoom and all we can do is like, oh man, that sucks. And I'm like, that's not, I have to say like, no, 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 that doesn't work for me where I'm at. When I hear people in my community talk about they're about to be evicted and they're struggling with health issues, we all talk about what we can do to lend a hand. What do you right. need? Do you need a place to stay? Like there are millions of dollars in this Zoom conversation right now. And most of it is from the two people who are running this conversation right now. With y'all can't lend a hand. Y'all can't lend a room. Right. Multiple, no networks nowhere. <laughs> people who got multiple homes and can't afford to even leave the city and therefore they've got vacant apartments. You know what I mean? Like right. this exists. Uh, and so, people who are working to make your art, dancers working to make your art the way it is, your MacArthur genius and your, your fucking Medal of Honor and shit like that, all that came from the people who were dancing in your work, putting the blood, sweat, and tears. And you're, you're, not, you're already not even paying them a living wage. And they're letting you know they're about to be evicted. And all you can give them is like, my heart goes out to you. Fuck that. When you have the means to help. No longer acceptable, right? At no all. And that's the end. <laughs> and that's, that's the end of that. So that's our bite. <laughs> With a bite. <laughs> huh. um, thank you for listening to another episode of the Dance Union Podcast. <laughs> it's listening to the Dance Union Podcast bite. It's a bite. Okay. It's a bite. Um, we got our New York dance, New York City Dances Relief Fund. It's on a rolling application. If you are interested in supporting your community in any way, um, you can follow the link in the description box wherever you're listening to donate. And if you are a community member that needs some support, please go ahead and apply. Um, and if you would like to support us specifically in um, our efforts to combat some of these things as the dance union, you can become a patron um, on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash the dance union. It's also in the description box wherever you are listening. And if you have questions, email us at the dance union podcast at gmail.com or on our website, the dance union.com. Yeah, stay hopeful, stay safe, y'all. Absolutely. You got it, my dad, senior house with this bite. I, I just I just wanna I just want us to be heard. I want I want people again like the most vulnerable my dance union has a microphone. Hmm. Megaphone? Megaphone. And to the point where we don't need it anymore because like people are listening. I just want I want I want our most vulnerable. I want my I want folks to be heard. And it's it's really disheartening that people aren't heard. I know that was a lot, but yeah. that's my dance union has. I sure. What is your dance union app? My dance union has, my dance union has the, 
means to support the community and the efforts that they um, are asking for. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying not to say something because my spirit is telling me like, nah, that, that is a destructive force. Like, you know that the, the voice has the power. So I'm trying to navigate around that and find the generative force, which is that my dance union has support for our community to grow and stay sustained and to be nourished um, in all the ways that are gonna be helpful and in the, um, in the most healthy, balanced alignment for everybody involved, highest alignment for everybody involved. I sure. I sure. And let's get on out of here. <laughs>